This week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Keep listening for this week's code for a special offer just for Discovering Trek listeners. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets online at fansets.com. A new secret, a new mission, and finally, the discovery. Episode three of Star Trek Discovery took Trek to a whole new level. I'm not even sure where to begin, so let's try to put it all into context. I'm your host, Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome one and all to episode three of Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion presented by Fansets. Again, my name is Dan Davidson, and we are so happy that you're joining us for another great discussion about Star Trek Discovery. As always, this is the place to get the most in-depth discussion and analysis about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. And tonight, it's all about episode three, Context is for Kings. And we're going to get our thoughts as to what we think might happen next. And more importantly, we'll discuss what this week's episode helped us discover about our own humanity. And when I say we, I mean I cannot possibly do this alone. Uh, I am a shell of a man without my friend and my brother in Trek, my amazing co-host, Bill Smith. Bill, here we are again, and uh, welcome aboard as usual, buddy. Thank you, my friend. I'm so excited to be here. Looking forward to talking about episode three, and as you said, putting things into context. And I'm, I'm very excited about our dais tonight. Oh, we got a lot of great things to talk about. As always, we're going to have in-depth analysis, some great talking points, uh, but we also have some really great and special guests tonight, don't we, man? We do. Dan, first up, she's the first fan that Trek Geeks ever had, and that, by the way, is a verified fact. Since then, she's become an amazing podcaster herself. She's the co-host of Shore Leave and the brand new Disco Trek on the Tricorder Transmissions Network. She is our dear friend, Heather Barker. Heather, we're excited that you're joining us this week. Welcome. Thank you guys so much for having me on Discovering Trek. I don't know if I was the first person to ask to be on the show, but I hope I was pretty close because I was thrilled to find out that you were doing another show focused on Discovery. So thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about this episode specifically. Ah, so we're, excited. We're so excited that you're here and also joining us this week is a fantastic podcaster in his own right, and you can hear him on Trek FM on their show Saturday Morning Trek, as well as The Edge. He's also the creator of the Trek Geeks Delta and a wonderful artist. His discovery art is some of my favorite in all of Trekdom. He's our friend Aaron Harvey. Aaron, welcome to Discovering Trek. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Very excited. You know, it's, uh, it's great to have you both here. And Aaron, I got to actually tell a quick story, as you're going to remember from a couple of weeks ago. Um, of course, I was out in Hollywood having a great time at the premiere. Sorry, Bill. Um, and after the premiere, we go to a local bar, John Champion, Lou and John from Fansets. Uh, we're all sitting at a table. And of course, after a premiere, like we just witnessed, we're all on our phones sending pictures and texting and whatnot. And I just hear this guy talking in the background over and over again. And I'm really not paying attention because I had also been up for about 24 hours. And finally he goes, Hey man, I really like that symbol on your phone. And I'd look at him, I look right at him and go, yeah, thanks. It's the new Delta uh, for our podcast. And, and he just goes, yeah, I know I made it. And I realized it was Aaron and he got the biggest bear hug. I think he's ever gotten. It was awesome. <laughs> so who are you again? I, I yeah, exactly. 
voice or anything. <laughs> it no, was that, really that was something. Awesome. That was, we were all in our own universes. It was very funny, especially because you know we all kind of have friends that are a little bit more maybe in the know sometimes. It's like, and nobody was able to talk to anybody about Discovery because nobody else had seen it, and suddenly we were the people. Sure. who didn't work on the show that actually could talk to them about what we thought and everybody just like please tell me what you think and all that so it was it was a lot of like being on the phone and talking to people and like we were both in two worlds at the same time it was very very 21st century star trek it was 21st century and of course i felt like a fool afterwards but that's okay because no, bill thinks i'm a fool anyway anyway <laughs> heather to you uh you're one of my most favorite people on this little ball of dirt so anytime we get the chance to say hi and spend some time it's always a good thing so welcome to the show we are so glad that both of you are here joining us for this discussion thank you so enough of that it's time to talk episode three and uh, we got a lot of ta- a lot to talk about but before we do that bill why don't you uh, go ahead and fire up those hailing frequencies so listeners can get in touch with us to talk about context is for kings Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. You can find us on Twitter at Discovering Trek and on Facebook. We can be found at facebook.com slash discovering Trek. There you can join in on the discussion and even leave us comments, questions, or suggestions. You can also send us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks. Please do remember, though, that any comments you leave us may be used on an upcoming episode of Discovering Trek. Dan. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Okay, from here on in, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers. So if you haven't watched episode three of Star Trek Discovery, stop listening right now. Go on over to CBS All Access and watch episode three, because failure to do that, you are going to risk finding out plot developments and character details for Context is for Kings. Six months have passed since the battle at the Binary Stars, and mutineer Michael Burnham is now prisoner Michael Burnham. She's aboard a shuttlecraft bound for a Federation mining colony where she'll put in a lot of hard labor to support the war effort. She's not alone. The other prisoners recognize her, and they're not too pleased at her presence. Small organisms that thrive on electricity begin to attach themselves to the shuttle, and they start draining it of power. The pilot goes outside the ship to deal with the problem, but her safety tether snaps and she floats away. The prisoners panic, but Burnham remains calm and stoic, almost Vulcan. The shuttle is tractored by a ship, the USS Discovery, and it guides the shuttle into the landing bay. The prisoners observe that not only does the ship seem to be brand new, it must also be a science vessel based on all the silver-accented uniforms, although there are more than a few black badges seen, something none of them have ever witnessed before. Commander Landry conducts the prisoners to the mess hall for food. Burnham sees one of her former Shenzo shipmates, but she ignores her. The prisoners attack Burnham, but she makes quick work of them with some Vulcan martial arts. Landry halts the ass-kicking and tells Burnham that the captain wants to see her. Landry escorts Burnham to the bridge where she finds Saru in the captain's chair. That's not awkward at all. She's then brought to the dark and ready room of Captain Gabriel Lorca. Lorca explains that he has an eye injury that has made him sensitive to changes in light. Burnham suspects that she's not on the Discovery by chance, and Lorca asks Burnham to help with an engineering project they have ongoing on the ship. 
Burnham refuses, but it's not like Lorca gives her a choice. Burnham gets assigned quarters, and they're pretty Spartan. Cadet Sylvia Tilly enters and finds her new roommate has taken her bed. There's some awkwardness. When Burnham tells Tilly that her name is Michael, Tilly jokes, well, she couldn't be Michael Burnham, and then becomes frightened when she realizes that it really is. A black alert sounds throughout the ship. The lights dim. Liquid floats in midair. Burnham wants to know what the hell's going on. Saru brings Burnham to her duty station, engineering. Burnham tells Saru that she saw his speech at Captain Giorgio's funeral, and it was beautiful. She attempts an apology. Saru says that he believes she is dangerous and worth fearing, but the captain does not fear things normal people do. She promises not to make any trouble, but Saru makes very clear that if she does, he'll do a better job protecting his captain than she did hers. Ouch. Burnham enters engineering and reports to Lieutenant Stamets. Stamets exits a classified area, one that's locked down with breath analysis, and engages in a very tense introduction with Burnham. She notices that he brushes some silvery dust off his shoulder. He gives her some code to fix and tells her to get busy. She works until everyone but Stamets has gone from engineering, and Stamets is discussing a project with a colleague over video communication. He gets pretty annoyed when Burnham brings him the code and points out his mistake. Burnham then goes back to her quarters and finds Tilly snoring and drooling. She collects some of the drool from Tilly on a napkin to get the through the breath lock on Stamets' secret lab. She finds a garden of what looks like plants and spores. Lorca receives a message alerting him that the Discovery's sister ship, the USS Glenn, was destroyed with all hands while performing black alert maneuvers in the Klingon territories. This includes the friend that Stamets was talking to the night before. Lorca tells Stamets to assemble a team, including Burnham, to collect material related to that project. The team includes Burnham, Tilly, Landry, and some guy who's not really going to make it through this episode. Burnham tries to get up to speed on what they're doing, and Stamets is annoyed, and he takes her to task. Stamets resents Burnham for starting a war that allowed his now-deceased friend's work to be co-opted by a warmonger like Lorca. The shuttle approaches the Glen. Stamets notes some odd markings on the ship's exterior hull. They dock, and the ship is dark. They find bodies torn apart and turned inside out. They notice a Klingon batleth, and then some dead Klingons, but their bodies aren't mutilated like the crew of the Glen. There are claw marks on the walls, torn through reinforced metal. They encounter a living Klingon, who is then taken before their eyes by some... thing. Hmm. Why is any object we don't understand always called a thing? The team makes it to engineering, sans the guy who wasn't going to make it anyway, and locks out the creature. They gather the materials they need. They're trapped and they need more time. So Burnham draws the creature's attention by firing a phaser at it and starts crawling through the Jeffries tubes. The creature follows, but Burnham, reciting Alice in Wonderland, drops down from the crawl space to the shuttle and they escape. Burnham enters Lorca's ready room. He invites her to stay aboard the Discovery. He says not to worry about Starfleet. He's been given permission to win the war by any means necessary. She declines and wonders why Lorca wants her there. She believes Lorca is building a biological weapon that is banned and believes, and he believes that she, as a mutineer, will do anything to get out of her imprisonment. 
Burnham says that she may not hold rank anymore, but she still lives life like a first officer of Starfleet. Lorca tells her she's wrong and then transports them both to engineering. He has her enter a sealed chamber, and he then pulls out a container of spores that Stamets cultivated and releases them in the container with Burnham. Lorca explains that they're developing a biological fuel. The discovery is behind on the curve, but the sister ship was traveling across the beta quadrant on them in seconds. They can be used for near instantaneous travel. He shows her by showing some of the various planets by activating the spores in the chamber. He believes that this is the key to winning the war, but can lead to so much more after that. And he offers her the chance to end the war that she helped start. Saru, in the mess hall, sees the prison transport leave the Discovery and has a reaction. Burnham returns to her quarters and tells Tilly that she'll be there permanently. Tilly's surprised to see an actual book among Burnham's collection. It's a copy of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Amanda Grace and her foster mother read it to her on Vulcan and to her foster brother. Hmm. It taught her about the limits of logic. Later, Lorca thanks Landry for beaming aboard their new friend. The creature from the sister ship is now imprisoned on the Discovery, and Lorca, who seems to be in some kind of experimentation room, looks toward the stars. Bill, as always, you are such a pro at these recaps. I I think we might have to have somebody else do it over on Trek Geeks, but, you know, maybe not. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. (laughs) Great job, as always. So, uh, wow, what an episode. So many cool things going on. Want to talk about a couple discussion uh, highlights that I thought we might want to bring into the conversation. And, Heather, I'm going to start with you. I want to get your thoughts on what you thought of Tilly, because I think that she is going to become a fan favorite really quickly. I think so too. Um, when we first met her, I, I was a little, I guess, startled at her because the show, the the show has been kind of dark and kind of heavy. And then here is someone that's the opposite of that. Uh, and she popped in, and at first I was like, oh, okay, and a little awkward. And then I love the line where she, you know, is asking for Michael's name. And then when she does, is like, I don't think that name suits you. I'm going to call you Mickey. <laughs> He's a total Barkley to me. Um, and I've, I've seen a lot of that referenced across social media today. Um, as this show went on, I just, I really fell in love with her. And ab- above anything is the fact that she has uh, a big dream ahead. And I don't know if I should mention what that dream is. Uh, but oh, Sure. Uh, yeah, sure, so she, she wants to be a captain someday. And to me, uh, you know, that to have a female character on the show say that, you know, right there, uh, and then look towards Burnham, you know, just despite despite being seen as a mutineer, uh, you know, she I can tell that she looks up to Burnham already. And I just I love that that female relationship that's been established. I love I just love these characters. I'm I'm so thrilled. And I adore yeah. her. Yeah, she was great. I did love the fact that she had quite an important role on the away mission, which we'll get yeah. into in just a minute. But Aaron, um, what are your thoughts on Tilly? She's uh, like, like Heather said, you know, it's been dark so far. And then we get this quirky, happy, very talkative, nervous character who jumps right in. Are you on the same page? Yeah, she reminds me a little bit of uh, Dr. Novak from Stargate Atlantis. She was a person who got uh, 
whenever she got nervous, she got hiccups and stuff like that. And she was always really very excited, but she was just like, you know, so um, I love, you know, I'm waiting for Tilly to walk into a glass door or something like that, which is like, it just feels like that's going to happen at some point. Um, I just, I, I really enjoyed her. It's sort of the every person it's, it's you, you can kind of relate to this person. She's new to the situation. It's nice to see somebody who doesn't seem to be like, you know, mustache twirling or, or ready to pounce on somebody. So I, I was excited that, that we got a, a genuine, what I felt like Starfleet cadet. I just, I, re- I really like that. Yeah. Um, th- that's a good point. We, we're not used to seeing cadets on various starships throughout Star Trek's timeline. So it's kind of neat that they've got one already incorporated into this new ship. Uh, I mentioned briefly a minute ago, the away mission. And uh, I do want to talk about that for a couple of minutes because that was an away mission. Like we have never seen before. Um, specifically, I don't think we've ever seen violence like that in Star Trek ever. Um, the way that those bodies had been, um, uh, were manipulated and, and, and then the Klingons, uh, Bill, um, let's talk the away mission for a second before we get Aaron and Heather's opinion on it. Uh, what, what did you like most about that away mission? I think the thing I liked about it the most is that for me, it was very evocative of alien and some of the vibes early on in that movie. You know, we don't typically get that type of tension. Yeah, we have stories where we investigate a derelict ship or space station, but certainly nothing that on the edge. And I I have to say, I I really enjoyed it uh, in contrast to the first two episodes, which I also really enjoyed. But I thought that it it allowed Discovery to start anew uh, with this third episode in a way, uh, using the first two episodes as a prologue. I thought that the energy and the pacing of that scene was just amazing. It was a very, and it was you know it was it was draining from a from a viewer's perspective because it was it was pretty intense. Uh, Aaron, any anything specific that uh, that you thought about that other than how awesome the reference to the the animated series was. <laughs> That, oh well, that that kind of comes later, but yeah, it uh, it it starts in in the uh, the away mission where she's quoting Alice in Wonderland. Um, I really enjoyed the it, it. You know, it's funny you were mentioned. It's like we had never seen anything like this before. The bodies actually did sort of remind me of the transporter accident in the motion picture. It has oh, a yes, little bit of that sure. sort of you know you only see them briefly, but it's that sort of mangled effect. A little bit of there's some Voyager in there where they were where um, Janeway is fighting the, the macrovirus because that giant thing that they're chasing is basically, it's, uh, and I can't remember the name of it now, it's a microscopic thing that they've enlarged to a gigantic size. So I feel like there, there are bits and pieces of like, oh, I've seen this before, but it's more real. Um, you know, it's got that, that, that edge to it. Like you said, it's, it's you know, heart racing. Definitely, you know, you, like you feel the, the terror. I was trying to tell if the Klingon blood was sort of pinkish and it looked like it in one light, but then in another light, it looked very red. So I, I wasn't sure if what we were seeing, but no, I love the Klingon. Is it shushing us? Shushing Shushing you? Yeah. That was great. I'm glad. I'm glad that in such a tense moment, they were able to bring a little bit of humor into the scene. That was Star Trek to me. That was that right there was just like that, that saved that, that I think that, that really was great. One of the things that I liked most about it, and and Bill, this your your reference was was perfect. A very uh, alien esque 
uh, type scene, a lot of darkness, a lot of uh, lights flying around with their flashlights and whatnot. It gave it a very, a very eerie and scary feel to it. Of course, of course, uh, Heather, let's talk about the creature for a second, because uh, that was uh, something that was quite uh, interesting to say the least. Wouldn't you say? What is it? <laughs> I, uh, that's one of the things that I really love about discovery is our ability to see these new creatures, uh, the, the corpusculin and the Vulcan hello. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And we had seen that in the teaser. Um, and although we didn't get to see a lot of that in the episode, I was just, I'm just in love with what they're doing. So this guy, I heard some people say that maybe it was a targ and I don't see no, that. Um, oh, I'm not thinking that. Yeah. yeah. I didn't, I didn't see that. Uh, I, Whatever it is, it is menacing and horrific, and I did not want it to come after me. Uh, and I'm curious to see what's going to happen since it's not dead. Yeah, that was a good way to end the episode, which we will definitely <laughs> look at afterwards. Um, but that's that ending scene, of course, has Captain Lorca, and I think everybody has been waiting to see Jason Isaacs as Captain Lorca. Who is this guy? What is his story? What's he got going on in his mind? This guy, I don't, I, I don't know about him yet. I'm kind of uh, on the fence as to if it's all planned or if he's just flying by the seat of his pants. Uh, Heather, do you have anything specific in regards to Lorca? I have so many quotes that I wrote down <laughs> from Lorca. Uh, I, I think... I think we're not supposed to know quite yet uh, what what is going on with him. Uh, part of me really wants to like him and does like him. And another part is very cautious and wary about what his motives truly are. Uh, again, I think I could go through and quote almost all of what he said because I wrote so many down. Um, but but what really stands out to me was was a line and he didn't say it um but it was that this is discovery and this is this is not a star trek that we've seen before this is not a star trek a starfleet captain that we've seen before uh i love on a side note that he's got a little bit of a, a country twang to him it reminded me of trip tucker uh but I am intrigued. I, I thought he did an amazing job. I've been excited since the moment they announced him. So he has my full attention. I cannot wait to see what happens with him, whether it's good or bad. Yeah, it's, uh, there's going to be a lot of questions uh, raised before answered, I think. Aaron, uh, what's your take on Captain Lorca? I'm, I've been waiting to hear this one for, for, since, since we saw him last night. My take, you're waiting for that. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh. Um, you know, it's interesting. He he actually didn't make that gigantic an impact on me. It was like, oh, really? okay, he's sort of like because we've seen trailers and we've like it's like he didn't let me put it this way, he did not change my expectations of what I was expecting him to be like. Interesting. I, you know, it was sort of that, you know, hard as nails. You know, we saw him in his sort of study with the aliens from the end of the episode in previous issues, you know, looking very stern and sorry, not issues, sorry, episodes <laughs> looking very stern. So I kind of felt like that was what I was expecting. He had a little bit of a humor to him. The, um, the bowl of, of uh, Chinese fortune cookies was a little bit odd. Like, I don't, I, I can't figure out if that's like, Oh, that's a really cool little thing that they're doing or, 
that's too many writers involved with this episode and that just ended up happening. Um, so I, it, it, I'd be interesting to see if he continues it. Um, you know, he's got, I found it was interesting. He's got like a standing desk. Is that basically what he has in his, mm-hmm. yeah, his yeah, captain's yeah. ready room? It's like that, that was a really interesting choice. Something that we have not seen in, in any other starship is the, the standing desk, which kind of cool. Um, but no, I, I liked him. The country twang obviously is something that's easier for somebody with a British accent to pull off because that's sort of how our accents evolved from British <laughs> to Southern to whatever we have now in other parts of the country. Um, so I, I, that was an interesting choice for them to, to choose, to use. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think he could be a really interesting character. I don't feel like I know enough about him yet beyond okay. Some of the stuff that they're setting up, which I'm like, I'm hoping it's either misdirection or we get to learn more about them. For me, it's it's been, it's funny. If this is something that I've professed since you know two years ago, I'm like, this isn't going to be the same Star Trek that we've seen. It's going to be a different type of storytelling. It's not going to be each episode is a self-contained kind of you know prism of every single episode going forward. But I'm having a hard time, ex- you know, accepting that actually watching it myself. So it's like. I kind of feel like I have to take the entire series before I say which way I like it or not. Because right now I really love the first two episodes, this episode, not as much. So okay. I'm trying to, rec- trying to reconcile that. And I'm not going to say, Oh, I'm not going to watch it now or whatever. You know, I would not be that kind of fan, but right. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, no, that's cool. Absolutely. No problem. One of the things you mentioned um, was um, his twang. And, and to me, it doesn't look like he has a lot of patience with dealing with, I don't know if insubordination is the right word, because we saw a scene with him uh, and the other person that we have just been waiting to see, and that's uh, Stamets. And uh, Bill, the dynamic between those two looks very, um, oh, what's a good word to describe? Uh Intense, <laughs> intense, tenuous, uh, markedly <laughs> strained. Um, there's there's a number of ways to describe this. And I think the thing that struck me the most is that Stamets just comes right out and calls Lorca a warmonger when talking to Burnham. So right. it, it strikes me like you know Stamets is a Starfleet guy. I mean he's he's research, he's science, he's trying to do new things, and he's not in an element that makes him very happy. I suspect he's got a little bit of the um, sort of the Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan element, the Genesis team, where they're not happy Star Trek, or sorry, that Starfleet is going to pervert what they're going to use into something. Um, but I get the sense that he's the sort of grounding to Starfleet's original mission, in a sense. And I, I look forward to the way they're going to butt heads in the future, which I assume will happen. But I one of them has to move and I don't see it happening. Yeah, I can agree with that. I think the best line of the whole night was when uh, Saru actually described Burnham as being the smartest Starfleet officer he'd ever worked with. And Lorca just had a great zinger looking right at Stamps and goes, oh, and he knows you. I thought that was just, that was a fantastic line. Fantastic line. Heather, um, we've been waiting uh, to see Anthony Rapp on the show. Um, I, loved what he did he's kind of he's kind of very standoffish i thought right up front and kind of for all intents and purposes he's kind of a jerk but um what do you what do you think yeah i didn't have any expectations of what the character would be i had i had no idea uh so i was i was surprised that he wasn't the nicest person ever (laughs) um i guess i shouldn't have been but i was like oh okay um (laughs) 
I think that he is probably uh, the most representative character of, of how people in Starfleet feel about the war and about Michael Burnham. Uh, I, I think he kind of stands for the, the majority of the crew that, you know, wouldn't even look at her when she was in the mess hall. Uh, he's, he's angry. This, this war is causing him loss. It caused him to be split up from his friend, uh, who died. And, and obviously he's, he's not happy about it. So I like, I like that his character is there to remind us that Starfleet is not happy right now. Um, they're not in a good place. And I, I think it's good to have him as a grounding character, uh, to that reality. Indeed, indeed, uh, Aaron. Uh, this is a, a a character that I I think you had been waiting to see. Um, what was your take on him? Yeah, I again I didn't was like, oh, what kind of character will he be? You know, you know, mm-hmm. as as the first, you know, we don't see it in this episode, obviously, but an openly gay character on Star Trek episodic television. You know, you knew he was going to show up with like you know some sort of storyline, like I just came out or whatever. Like we knew that wasn't going to happen happen right uh so it was like oh what's it going to be you know and unfortunately i think in this first episode he he didn't get a lot to sink his teeth into because there was so much exposition that he had to he was basically the geordie of this trying to explain everything that's happening you know so he got to be that just like a lot of the other characters were were upset you know you caused me to like you said be separated from my friend um and that definitely does feel like he he and tilly to me feel like they're really starfleet um so i i get that from from him which is great uh but i'm looking forward to like you know further in the arc because obviously given his field of specialty and what the story seems to be headed towards we're gonna he's gonna feature a lot more so hopefully beyond being you know crabby and you know lots of exposition we'll get to see him in a more you know something that he can really grab onto and and Show whatever his character is, because I don't feel like we're actually knowing beyond, like you said, it's like, I feel like we're knowing his base, like how he acts and how he Mm -hmm. feels about the world. Like he does not like the war. He, you know, he doesn't, he he isn't on par with, with Lorca um, as far as, as attitude and, and, but, but I don't like, you know, besides his uncle having a cover, a Beatles cover band, I don't know anything about, (laughs) (laughs) which I thought was kind of cool. I'm glad that we, you know, I don't want to pop culture reference every five seconds, but I'm glad that culture actually still exists into the, into this timeline compared to, you know, we're going to talk about Shakespeare and classical music, which no one listens to even right now. You know, I mean, we do obviously, but I um I found that after he saw his friend dead in engineering on the Glen, which I hope is a reference to John Glenn, but I don't know that for sure. Um, if, if John Eves was involved, yes, it was. <laughs> it, I like how his character really seemed to soften from that instant for the rest of the time that we saw him, at least in this yeah. episode. So I kind of have a feeling that the way that we saw him at the beginning uh, um, when he walked into engineering was just a certain circumstance and that'll that'll change. I want to know what happened 10 minutes before that shuttle arrived. Because mm-hmm. there's that, it seems like something, whatever set up or whatever was happening, I feel like that's the one component that really would have helped. It's like mm-hmm. show, don't tell, don't tell us about the word, like, show us something that happened before to give us an idea of why these people are acting the way they do show a battle show, even if it's just ships exploding on a screen and then they pan away something to like, okay, these people have witnessed this horrible thing 
And I can kind of understand why they're all on edge and they're acting, you know, obviously, you know, they see Burnham as the person who put all this into motion. You can get that when somebody says it, but if they did something to show that, that would have helped that much more. I think. Gotcha. All right. Well, awesome discussion points, uh, Heather, Aaron, Bill. Lots more to talk about uh, right after this. Dan, this week's episode is brought to us by Fansets, the exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek. They are the place for all of your collectible pin needs, whether it's Star Trek, Marvel, Harry Potter, DC, or even Firefly. Fansets has just the pin for your favorite genre. Head on over to fansets.com and check out their vast library of products and accessories. You know, dude, it, it just seems that every week these guys have new pins for us to appreciate, doesn't it? You know, they are turning out pins at a rate that I am just astounded by. And it's it's new stuff all the time, regardless of genre, but especially Star Trek. And everything they're turning out is just stuff that I immediately want, and that's a bit of a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and of course, Discovery uh, is certainly one of the things that we love touting from fan sets. And the first set is out. They look awesome, just like everything else fan sets does. Uh, this Series 1 set is available. There are eight pins to start your collection, from Sarek to Burnham, and many others in between. I am... Very quickly running out of room to display mine. My cubicle at work is only so big. <laughs> but uh, Dan, we we want you and our listeners to display them too. As an exclusive offer for Discovering Trek listeners for this week only, enter the code Black Badge, all one word. That's Black Badge at checkout for a special ten percent off your order. But don't wait. This code will only be available until next Sunday, October 8th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. Dan, Fansets, a set for every fan and a fan for every set. Please head on over to fansets.com and check them out. Yeah, go get some pins, people. And as always, we thank our friends at Fansets for being our exclusive sponsor for this entire season of Discovering Trek. If I could just say something about Fansets real quick. You were literally, you were saying how they have a... a pin for every fan yeah they have a, a ncc or sorry they have a uss bonaventure 10281 ncc and that is the correct uh registry number which is a ship from the animated series mm-hmm. it was on screen for like four seconds so they <laughs> literally have a pin for everyone and i proudly have that pin awesome <laughs> love it that's great stuff you know, Trek has always been a reflection of our times. Uh, and in this segment, uh, Sensor Analysis, we're going to take a look at what this episode helps us discover about our humanity, or perhaps even what it tells us about ourselves. And I'm going to actually jump in first for this uh, this week, because, you know, I, I actually didn't know what I was going to do for this segment after watching the episode last night. I was, I was a little stuck, to be honest. Um, and then I woke up this morning. And as we record this episode, it is October 2nd, 2017, and the Las Vegas massacre is less than 24 hours old. Uh, Of course, I'm not going to try and compare a sci-fi show with real-life events, but I thought that the prisoner shuttle scene opening the show in Context for Kings reminded us of the ugliness that we deal with in our present day. Uh, that one prisoner had no remorse in killing Andorians, and he actually joked to Burnham that his words were getting her, quote, shiny Starfleet panties in a bunch. Um, I see in what happened last night with the brutal ugliness that still 
resides in people today. And sadly, I actually saw it last night on Discovery, meaning it's still happening in the future. Uh, our humanity is it can still be very ugly. And, you know, I love Gene's vision. It makes Trek what it is. Uh, but what I call the reality factor that's being thrown into Discovery already for me is just a grim reminder of the world that we live in today. And we still have such a long way to go people. Uh, and today just showed me how true that really is. Um, Heather, what did you think about, um, about last night's episode and our humanity? I'm in a similar place. I really struggled and I've, I've struggled with these episodes uh, thinking about that question because we, we don't quite have, you know, a, a meaning to every episode. We don't have a moral high mission log. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, so I've taken something specific and I, I think it kind of falls in line with, with what you said about today, because when we have events like what happened, um, I wind up feeling very lost and I picked up on something in the Vulcan Hello that it was an exchange between Georgiou and Burnham when they were in the desert. And if if you don't read into it, it just sounds like, okay, they're wandering around. And of course they're lost. Georgiou says, I trust you with my life, Commander Burnham, but it doesn't change the fact that you are lost. And to me, I felt that what she's really talking about is, is Burnham being lost. Um, and I wondered how that would play throughout uh, this season of discovery. And again, um, in this episode, we, we Burnham says, and I'll just read the quote, um, the real word, the real world doesn't always adhere to logic. Sometimes down is up. Sometimes up is down. Sometimes when you're lost, you're found. So again, we revisit, um, you know, this, this, how do I say this, this metaphor of Burnham being, you know, being lost. And I, to me, these episodes are really saying, you know, humanity isn't perfect. The world isn't perfect. And although, you know, it ultimately it's probably never going to be perfect, but we, we have more of a utopian vision uh, in, in the Star Trek that we know, and we're, we're not quite there yet. And so that reality factor that you mentioned, I think that's spot on. I think that's what we're seeing in Discovery. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, we all feel a little lost. Burnham is a little lost. And so that, that really resonates with me strongly. Like I said, Bill, last week, this is going to be the uh, the part of the show that's always going to bring out a lot of strong feelings and emotion. Um, what did you think about last night's episode with this part of the discussion? You know, I think Context is for Kings shows us the polarization of humans. You know, war is, well, what's the old adage? War is hell, right? But war or warfare can bring out unique and different qualities in people. And sometimes they can be the very best, whether it's honor or gallantry, or sometimes it can bring out the very worst in a society. You know, we're used to Starfleet being the best and brightest and these people who go to these strange new worlds and see these amazing things and, and make first contact with aliens. And we're used to them being the people with white hats. But in this episode, there are some really darker elements at work here, at least so we're led to believe. And this episode reminds me that, you know, we, we idealists have to challenge and fight the more baser elements that are oftentimes right under our nose. And 
even sometimes standing shoulder to shoulder with us. That was really the thing that, that I kind of came away with in watching this a second and third time since last night. Right. Aaron, what are your thoughts, man? Yeah, I also, you know, I wrote down, uh, down is up, up is down, because it does sort of feel like our world is like that sometimes, um, more often than not lately. Um, and that it, it's, an, it's a really good reflection for that. It's, it's interesting. It reminded me of when uh, Enterprise was on and they had the Zindi attack on Florida. And it was just like, you know, like, and I, I kind of felt the same way at the same time. But now upon reflection, I'm like, okay, I see why they did it. It was like, you know, Star Trek should be a, a, a metaphor for what's going on, not like a what's just slightly change what's happening in the world. And, and you know, that's, and I, at the time, I remember kind of being upset with the writers of Enterprise. I'm like, don't just put September 11th on the screen. And watching this, I'm like, I think some of the reason I'm reacting to that is just like, the world is too much like this right now. I don't need that in my entertainment. but. I do. So, I mean, I get it. And I'm, I'm definitely going to, I, I think, take a lot more away from it, given that I feel like this. So, you know, it's, it's engendering, not just like, oh, it was Star Trek. You know, I, in the long run, you don't want that kind of a show. You don't want just uh, the throwaway episodes that you would skip over anyway. So I, I you know, it's, it, you know, I jokingly said the one you gave me the, the information like you know we're gonna talk about sensor analysis and was like oh you know like what did we learn uh we're dark and brooding you know it was sort of like i don't know uh, and then when i really thought about it it's like no this is you know it's a polarized world and it's really showing i mean you look at tilly and you look at Lorca, and it's sort of like that is like two people on this the spectrum of politics on religion on whatever you know it's just like or or even uh stamets and and Lorca. so i i think you know, it's it's going to be a ride. It's going to be an arc. And once we get to the end of that arc, we're going to know a lot more than we do now. And it's going to make a lot more sense. Yes. So that's why oh. I'm trying to be like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, I might not love how this is at the moment, but I, there are elements that I do. So I trust that the rest of mm-hmm. it will pan out as well. I'm I'm kind of hoping that uh, as the weeks progress, the section will be a little bit more upbeat. But then again, they're at war so i guess we're gonna have to wait and see anyway um, it's actually realistic for once you know we always have the 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 klingon war it's always something in the past or when we hear about it it's just like it's that sort of sanitized star trek sort of war and Mm -hmm. that was you know kirk's point in the um the episode that i won't be able to remember the name of uh (laughs) where they put the people in the booth and zap them you know it's like it's like no that's not how war really is and it's like that's right and we're actually seeing what it's like right so it has not been know, it's, uh, it's basically we're getting what we've always asked for yeah yeah we it, really you're are. absolutely right and it's it's one of the things that i've actually um uh touted that i'm looking forward to is that it's going to bring that real uh real life into it but on to bigger and better things for this uh, for this episode. We're going to talk about Starfleet commendations right now. This is an area that I always like to talk about. Uh, we're going to start with Bill tonight, and what we're going to do is is pick a couple of things that we really want to specifically call out in the episode, whether it be characters, performances, scenes, doesn't really matter, but something that really loved in context is for Kings. Go for it, co-host. Okay, I can do this. <laughs> I've prepared for this all my life. Um, 
you know, first of my Starfleet commendations, I have to say Akiva Goldsman. You know, he really did a great job with his direction of this episode. The look and feel of episode three, I think, is pretty fantastic. It's different. It's dark. It's uh, it's scary. I, I won't lie. I was a little scared. But uh, I really appreciate what he did. Um, second up, I'd have to say, uh, and I'm going to say it like this on purpose, Lorca, Lorca, Lorca. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I can't tell if this guy is mad, evil, or misunderstood. And I suppose it could be some mix of the three. But that is a direct credit to Jason Isaacs as an actor and his portrayal of this character. I, um, I look forward to finding out more. Um, I, I hope he's misunderstood. I suspect he's evil, and I'm pretty sure he's mad. Um, and lastly, for my third Starfleet commendation, I, there's no way I can't include Sonequa Martin-Green. You know, the deeper we get into the series, I don't think it's Saru that's the stand-in for Spock, Data, or Odo. I think it's Burnham. And honestly, we saw Burnham deal with some Vulcan-human conflict in this episode, whether it was putting prisoners in their place or, like we talked about earlier, reciting Alice in Wonderland through the Jeffries tube. The discovery in this is really her discovering her humanity. So, Interesting. Those are great. Great points, man. Heather, I know that you're going to have some good stuff out there for us <laughs> to... Uh, to go over for your commendations. Oh man, I had a hard time narrowing this down. This this may have been one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek ever. Um, the one that stood out the most, and I, I think it's pretty nice since I hear that the writers may listen to Discovering Treks. Uh, <laughs> Discovering Trek. Um, I, the the writing in this episode to me was just phenomenal. Uh, I'm not going to try to pinpoint, you know, one specific scene or quotes or anything. It was, it just blew me away. Um, when this episode ended, to me, it was comparable to the feelings I get, you know, at the end of Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones, where I'm just like, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, when your football team wins and you're just, yeah. Um, it was, <laughs> it was just amazing. Um, so props to the writers, uh, for that. Um, and I guess kind of following that, I really have to commend something. It's, it's a little odd, but it is the amount of communication between all of the characters in the show. I've always been pr so proud of Star Trek for teaching us how to communicate. Uh, our officers communicate with each other. They're you know, usually not afraid to say what they need to say. And, and they are all role models for us uh, and, and teaching us that it is, it is a good thing to communicate. It is a powerful thing to, to communicate. And there was so much of it, um, mostly between Burnham and everyone else. But uh, I just have to call that out because it's something that we know and love in Star Trek. And the fact that we saw so much of it in this episode uh, really spoke to me. And I guess my final commendation would be all the fun new stuff that we learned. Um, breath prints, which <laughs> struck me as a little odd. Uh, I wasn't quite sure of the, the science behind how that worked uh, and, and wanted to know a little bit more about that. But we had the breath scan um, and just the fact that we have astromycology now. Uh and then, of course, that black badge. Like, there is, <laughs> there is just so much new information to absorb. And uh, I'm excited to, to find out more as we go on. 
Yeah, there's a lot of oh, that black badge. Oh, yes. <laughs> anyway, we'll get back to the black badge because I guarantee you I have something about that coming up. But uh, Aaron, commendation time, brother. What do you got for us? Uh, well, you know, if I didn't do this first, I I wouldn't be worth my salt as an animated series host. Uh, the the, uh, <laughs> the animated series call out at the very end when you know Burnham hands over the uh, Alice in Wonderland book to Tilly and mentions that. Amanda read this to her as a child. And if you watch Once Upon a Planet, which was the sequel to Shore Leave, uh, you know, Kirk is like, you know, Spock is talking about Alice in Wonderland and Kirk is like, I had no idea that you would read fantasy. It's like, it was like my mother was very much, you know, a fan of Lewis Carroll's work and so read it to to us as a child. And I like reading for for uh, relaxation. I think he said something to that effect. Um, so the minute I heard her in the Jeffries twos with the, Alice in Wonderland, I was like, okay, is this going to happen? And then it happened. And I'm just like, <laughs> this proves to everybody's like, the writers don't know anything about Star Trek. No, they do. They know everything about Star Trek. They have like every possible resource available and they, they know it like the back of their hands. So I was, was very, very happy about that. Uh, the second thing would be Tilly herself. I mean, that's that, that character just is, perfection you know in her imperfection (laughs) (laughs) i love just you know the issues and stuff that she has and that gives you something really interesting to overcome so when we see her in season seven and she's like you know first officer tilly or whatever (laughs) she ends up being uh we'll be like wow remember when she was you know unable to like you know carry on a conversation in episode three um and then finally design and just overall just the the fact that we have a computer on the desk in the little three quarter inch floppy translucent things that we saw that were very similar to TOS. Sure. Um, the shuttle bay, it, it, they do a really good job of making it look futuristic, but somehow still feel like it could go into the cage. Just like the colors, right. the grays and the blacks that fit the bridge, the way it used to look in the pilot. Um, and just the way the ship looks, you know, cause I know that there was that, that in itself is just, could be a whole show the of people what they thought about the ship leading up to the the uh the launch so sure. i think they just did a fantastic job with making all of that feel like it belongs in universe but up to you know more more up to date modern um that was like eh. totally agree with you man as a matter of fact i had tilly and and the discovery on my list um the only thing that i have uh to add to the discussion for accommodation is the canon and the continuity. There were so many things that came out in last night's episode. The Z Magnes prize was one thing. I was like, oh my gosh, the Tribble. Uh, people are going to be upset maybe about that, but I thought it was great. And it was confirmed on After Trek, I was told last night, that that is a Gorn skeleton in Lorca's lab. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that's true, I think that's fantastic. But the one that really made me go, oh, my gosh, the writers get it, was when Burnham was do- seeing all the different scenes. And one of them was the Kirok Temple um, from uh, This Side of Paradise, or Paradise Syndrome. I always yeah. get the two confused. Paradise Syndrome. Um, Paradise Syndrome. It, was just, it was just great, great um, uh, canon for me. So great commendations, guys. All good, good stuff. Um, what I want to do right now before we wrap it up is get a very quick prediction uh, from Aaron and Heather about what they think is going to happen next week or further down in the season. Long range scan of planet complete. Let's start with Aaron. What do you got, man? Uh, I purposely didn't watch the trailer for next week. So I was, you know, like, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, 
like I said, I feel like we're gonna we're gonna get a longer arc. Hopefully, the whole you know magic mushroom powered. Uh, spaceship is going to resolve itself somehow. We're going to move into a more more conventional like uh, mo- mode of transportation because something's going to happen eventually. Um, I, I this is just a, a wild prediction. Last scene of the last episode of season one, we will see the Enterprise show up in some form or fashion. I like that. Okay, I like that a lot. <laughs> oh goodness gracious! Can't can you can you top that one, Heather? Because that's pretty good bold prediction. Oh, I don't know that I can. To be quite honest, I'm learning with Star Trek Discovery that I don't know what's coming next. Uh, it's it's <laughs> kind of point. impossible for me to come up with with anything. Uh, I I think you know, as you said, Dan, there's that black badge. Mm. I, I want to know more. I've heard some rumors about what people think it may be. Uh, the section 31 rumors. Mm-hmm. I don't know what your all's thoughts are on that. I might have something to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, ultimately I, I really don't know where it's going to go. And so I'm not even going to try. And you know what? I'm 100% okay with that. All right. That sounds good. To your point, my prediction is Section 31 is going to be a huge part of what we're going to see in Discovery. And when the opening scene, right before the credits last night, the opening credits, when the Discovery, the camera pulled back from the Discovery, and I know I've seen it or heard about it, but the first time I actually saw NCC-1031, I'm like, this is Section 31. And the black badge was another thing that made me think that. I really have a feeling that this is all Section 31 related, which I, for one, will absolutely love. And my counter to that is that Section 31 is a super secretive. Everybody at Starfleet would deny that it ever existed. They wouldn't have a badge. They wouldn't have a ship. They wouldn't have any of that. Right. So I think that's misdirection. Ah, I like that. And I also think it's just because... Brian Fuller like Halloween for the show. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> um, hey, listeners, just as a reminder, you still have time to become an exclusive season pass holder of the episode pin collection available exclusively by fansets. A pin for each of the 15 episodes of season one plus a special season pass is available for you to order right now at episodepins.com. Pins are going to ship in two sets, Dan, four to six weeks after the eighth episode airs. The first eight episode pins will ship along with the special season pass holder pin. Then four to six weeks after the 15th episode airs in 2018, the last eight pins will ship. It's very important that you don't delay, though, folks. In order to get that special season pass pin, you must order the episode collection before midnight on October 29th, 2017. Orders after that date will still receive all 15 episode pins, but you will not get the additional season pass pin. For more details, once again, just go ahead on over to episodepins.com. Right, Bill? Right, Dan. You know, that's pretty pintastic. And as you know, since we have Heather here tonight, who just happens to be one of the amazing admins over at the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention page on Facebook, maybe she could tell us a little bit about the Fansets Pick the Pin campaign. I'm so excited to. Um, obviously, I love Fansets too. Uh, so we're really happy to partner with them to do a very special exclusive contest for the members of the unofficial Star Trek, Star Trek Las Vegas Convention Group on Facebook. So if you're not a member, uh, just search for that, pop in, we'll add you. 
essentially the the contest is basically you give out an idea for a pin. It, it can't be a pin that they already have. Uh, so it needs to be something that that is not in their catalog. Uh, right now, we've got Janeway as Queen Arachnia in the lead. That was at, as of September 28th. So we need to update it. It may have changed. Uh, and then Garrick is number two. But essentially, you just go and comment with your vote. The contest is going through midnight on October 14th. And then we'll do a drawing on October 15th. All the people who voted for the winning character will be entered into a random drawing for a $100 fan sets gift card and the very first pin off the line when the winning character is produced. So that's pretty awesome. We're really excited to be bringing this contest uh, to our group members. So please hop on over so that you can participate. Uh, I'm Team Garrick. I am Team Garrick as well. So that's cool. Thank you very much. I like that. Um, Also, guys, if you recall... We had a special contest for a giveaway of the entire set of Series 1 pins from Discovery last week. All you had to do was write up a review on iTunes about Discovering Trek. And i got to tell you, we had a great response. So what I'd like to do right now, Aaron, I'm going to put you on the spot. I would like yep. you to pick a number between 1 and 16, and that will determine who our winner is for that special Series 1 pin set. 31. No, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh Let's go for nine. Okay, nine. Paul K3 is the user, and uh, his review says, Happy new listener. I really enjoyed your first episode. Great discussion and knowledgeable hosts and guests. One piece of constructive criticism. Four voices are too many. Try to stick it to two or three. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of funny that we're talking about that tonight. I know, right? Content is great. And uh, plan to be back and listen every week and also plan to check out Trek Geeks, which he was not aware of previously. So, Paul K3, go ahead and get in touch with me. You can email me at dan at trekgeeks.com and we'll get all your info and get that uh, that set sent right out to you. Congratulations. That's pretty awesome. You're going to love it. Agreed. I, Bill, uh, what do we got coming up next week, buddy? Well, Dan, next time on Discovering Trek... We'll take a look at Star Trek Discovery's fourth installment, The Butcher Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry. And joining us to break down the episode will be Rick Tatro from the Simply Syndicated Podcast Network. Say that ten times fast. I dare you. (laughs) Plus, don't forget you can subscribe to Discovering Trek by searching for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, or you can head over to discoveringtrek.com. And of course, if you're on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, we would love it. If you'd rate and review the podcast, that will help other Star Trek fans find the show. Dan. Indeed, my friend. Indeed. Thank you, Bill. And Heather and Aaron, thank you so much for a wonderful discussion on what just may be the most intense Trek episode we have seen in a very, very long time. Uh, Until next episode, to quote Captain Jean-Luc Picard, what we leave behind is not as important as how we lived. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks. Executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com. <laughs>